So uh, we are really coming to the end almost this week and next week, closing out our series in the book of Mark. And so this week is Mark 15, and we come to the passage on the cross. And I know it's not Easter, but um, the cross, uh, I feel like we should be able to talk about the cross more times than just once a year. Because it really is everything. It really is everything for us. And so we come to the passage about the cross, and I know I'm not going for big shock and awe today, just so you know. I didn't prep a big Easter-type message. It's Thanksgiving. Um, but, you know, this is, we, we should be talking about the cross more than just once a year. It's not like we have one big chance to share, like, what the good news is about, what Jesus did on the cross. It really should be an everyday thing. And so my prayer today is just that, like, talking about the cross, looking at Jesus and what he accomplished encourages you and, and helps, it helps you see really what, um, what God is trying to communicate through his word. Um, because I love Easter, but Jesus isn't just king on Easter. He's king every day. 364, the other 364 days, he's king. And so, um, so yeah, we're going we're gonna to go there today. Um, and one thing I know about, and what we're going to talk about as we look at the cross today, one thing that Mark really illustrates and really hammers home, because there's four different Gospels, and Mark specifically focuses on Jesus as king, that Jesus is king. Mm -hmm. And that's seen all throughout the passage leading up to the cross. And this is something I've been thinking about this week. Maybe you're like me, and sometimes when you have the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with someone who doesn't believe, you get a little nervous. Anybody else, or just me? Am I the only anxious person in the room? No. Yeah, two hands. Good, good. Hey, some honest people here, right on. But yes, um, it's, it can be tough to talk about Jesus, uh, you might feel apprehensive, like, man, I don't, I don't know if I want to go there, whether it's with family, uh, friends, coworkers. And I've realized this, it's a lot easier to have conversations about God than it is about Jesus, right? You can talk about God, and you can kind of stay up here, like, oh yeah, because everybody has a different filter when it comes to God. But when you talk about Jesus, you're getting specific. Yep. You're saying, like, the, re the truth of God is revealed in Jesus, you're making a specific statement about who God is. And so it's powerful to say the name of Jesus. I was in a situation this week. I was in a conversation. We're talking about kids in the future. What, how can we help our kids as a city? And we talked about hope. Our kids need hope, right? The world needs hope. Why does somebody go in and, and uh, shoot up a school? It's they don't have hope, right? There's nothing to live for. And I just felt the Holy Spirit push me. No, say the name of Jesus. Yes. Right? Say the name. Because it's not just that people need hope. People need Jesus. Yes. He is the hope. And so I just want to encourage you that that might be the bar. Like if you're struggling, like, ah, do I, do I want to talk about faith? Just saying the name might be that bar that you have to cross. Yes. Just jump over it. That's how God challenged me this week. It's like, I can have conversations all day about God, but when you start talking about Jesus, things get real really fast. Yeah. And why is that? 
Well, that's what we're going to look at today as we talk about Jesus heading to the cross in Mark 15. This is the, the day of his death, and this is what we'll find. The reason why Jesus changes the conversation is because he's the king. He's the king. He claims authority over heaven and earth. So when you start talking about Jesus, you're talking about the king. And yes, Jesus saved us on the cross. And Jesus died for all humanity. He ransomed us by his blood. But the Gospel of Mark also emphatically says that Jesus is not just our savior. He's our king. He's our king. And that's what Mark's account of the cross focuses on, is Jesus is king. Obviously, that's the name of our church, right? Christ the king. And uh, Grant, Pastor Grant told me this week that when the names were being considered for Christ the King, they landed on Christ the King because they wanted a name, this is the quote, they wanted a name that was so powerful that even if people were using the name to criticize or ridicule us, they would still have to acknowledge the kingship of Jesus at the same time. <laughs> so, I know I inherited the name, but I love the name. It's like, well, what is this church about? It's in the name, right? It's in the name. It's that easy. And I've had people ask me because of the name, hey, do you really believe that Jesus is king? Yes, that's, that's what we're about. That's what we're about. Jesus isn't just a teacher or an influencer or a role model. He's the king. And so when we get to Mark 15, it reads like a coronation. You know, a coronation is when they crown the king. Literally, the cross is where Jesus was coronated. And it's not like any coronation we might be used to. Growing up, one of my favorite Disney movies was Sword in the Stone. I don't know if any of you guys watch Sword in the Stone. It's a 60s Disney movie, so it's a little far out, you know. Um, but it follows this young page boy who's kind of, you know, tossed around and, and uh, ridiculed by, you know, this knight and his dad. They call him Wart, and... Uh, you know, and basically the sword in the stone is this, sto is this sword that's, they have a lost king, and there's a sword in a churchyard that if they're waiting for the, the proper king to pull it out, and then he'll be proclaimed king. And so they're, after the, in the middle of this jousting tournament, this kid pulls out this sword, and it's been there forever, and they are like, wait a minute, this, this guy is the king. And I remember the, the coronation scene after that. They shout, long live the king! Long live the king, you know, and uh, and they they say and, and the the people who wronged the king ask for forgiveness and and uh, they bow to the king and so in my mind when I think of the idea of coronation that's what I think of yeah. people bowing it being a unifying event uh, people shouting long live the king you know we've seen whether it's Shrek whatever your movie is <laughs> you've seen a coronation scene before. People cheer. But this is what we're going to see today, is that the cross was the coronation of Jesus. Crazy. The cross was the coronation of Jesus, the coronation of the king. This brutal, barbaric cross where Jesus was coronated. Some would say that uh, Jesus became king at the cross. Some would say that he king, but he was revealed, and, uh, revealed king at the cross. In a way, the, the cross is a really, really big deal. And people would bow to him, but they'd only do it to mock him. And people would put a crown on him, but it would be a crown of thorns. And 
people would cry out and cry out loudly, not for him to live, but for him to die. And you have to wonder, how could Jesus the king subject himself to this? Because the people didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know that they were coronating the king when they mocked him, when they spit on him, when they pronounced him to be the king of the Jews. They didn't know what they were doing. And so the cross announces the depth of God's glory and his love, glory that we can't even fathom, we can't even relate to. That depth of love is so deep that we can't even touch it. That this perfect son of God became man and died a murderer's death is beyond us. N.T. Wright said this, he said, Jesus' suffering and death are indeed the means through which God is becoming king, through which all authority is being given to Jesus himself. This will set the pattern not just for a new ethic, but for a new kind of behavior, a new lifestyle, through which the saving rule of God will be brought to bear on the world. So he's saying this is how Jesus Jesus became the king and changed the world. And so as we dive into Mark 15, we're going to start with this premise. All of us choose how we will respond to Jesus the king. All of us choose how we will respond to Jesus the king. And we're going to look at four different responses in Mark 15 uh, to Jesus being king. Because that's what the Bible declares. That's what for centuries the church has upheld, is that Jesus is the king. And if you believe that Jesus is the king, that you're giving him rule over your life. You're subjecting yourself to him. But you do have a choice in how you respond. So in Mark 15, we're presented with different characters in the story that participated in the death of Christ. All held an amount of responsibility, and all groups responded differently to Jesus. And so these reactions to Jesus, they're not just lost in time. These are still responses that people have to Jesus today. And so we're going to read through Mark 15, and we're going to walk through these different people, these different responses to Jesus. And we're going to start at verse 1 and go to 6. We'll stop at at verse 6 in the uh, NIV. It says this, Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So Pilate again asked him, Aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But still, Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. So, just so you know where we're at with this story, there's a lot that's transpired the night before. Um, There was the Last Supper, there was Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, there was Judas betraying Jesus, there was this huge religious ruling class, like everybody is involved in this mob that that takes Jesus and tries him and basically, you know, declares him to, he's, they ask him if he's the Messiah, this, the Son of God, and he says, I am. And that's when they lose it and they condemn him and they condemn him to death. 
but in order to actually pull off an execution, they're under the authority of Rome, so they have to take Jesus to the Roman governor at the time, whose name was Pontius Pilate. And the charge that they had was, he said, he's king of the Jews. And so that's the grounds on what they wanted to uh, crucify him on. And so the, the, the Jewish religious ruling class, they, they represent God's chosen people. And, and what you see in their history is that they never seem to get the king thing down. That they never, really, they, they never really got the king thing down. When they came into the promised land, the plan was for God to be their king. And yet, when you read through the book of Judges, you see that it's just like cycles of disobedience and running from God and being captured and coming back to God. And then, and then they establish a king, and their first king is Saul, and he's not a good king. And then they have David, who, um, who honors God, who loves God with his whole heart, and not, he's not without flaws. But, um, but, but God establishes his line of, the, of David forever. And so, basically, Jesus is the, the fulfillment of that promise to David. Jesus is telling these religious leaders that he's the true king. He's the king that has returned. But he's not the king that the religious leaders were looking for. They were looking for in a king, someone who would give them power in what they wanted. And yet, this king called them out for their selfish hearts, for their self-centeredness, for their abuse of others. Jesus was about a kingdom of heart transformation and miracles and healing the sick, right? And preaching good news to the poor. And that's not what this, this rich religious ruling class was about. They wanted somebody who would defeat Rome and, and prop them up. And so how do the Jewish leaders respond to Jesus the king? And we're going to look. This is the first of four responses. How did they respond? They responded in contempt. That's the driving focus of this group. Contempt, hatred. They hated him and all he stood for. They wanted, uh, they wanted their own vision. They, wa they wanted to be, uh, to be honored. And here's this king telling them that their hearts need to change. So they hated him. They despised him. And contempt is a response that people can have to Jesus the King, right? I mean, the name Jesus Christ is often used as a curse word, right? Yeah. Right? We can curse him out. We can take his name in vain. We can swear by it. We can defame it. We can be hostile towards Jesus, claiming kingship, claiming any kind of authority over our lives. And, and Jesus could be a threat to any attitude or any belief that we hold Firmly, whether that be about um, money being the, the purpose of life or sexuality or getting drunk or high or, or anything about our own self-centeredness that Jesus challenges, one of the responses we can take, like these Jewish leaders took, is contempt, is to be hostile. Now, the amazing thing about Jesus is that he died to save those who hated him. So this is what Paul says in Romans 5.10. It says, for while we, were, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So that's this crazy thing about the cross. Jesus died for his enemies, people who hated him. He's like, yep, I'm going to die for these people. So, so Jesus loves us even in our contempt of him. And that's this crazy thing about the gospel. 
Jesus still loves us even when we hate him. And what Jesus invites us down to is to lay down our contempt and our hostility and, and find life there. So let's turn our attention to Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate is the leader who's just caught in the middle of everything. He's really unaffected by the Jewish world and all the things that are going on. He's, he just represents the interests of Rome. And so unfortunately, as part of his job, he has to take care of this issue. It was probably just another day for Pilate. And it was like, what do they want to bother me with now? So Pilate represents the man in control, the comfortably unaffected, and unfortunately, Jesus invades his comfort, makes him uncomfortable. It becomes this issue that he has to deal with. And you can see Pilate try to be uh, sly in this situation, right? He tries to put the fire out quickly, but he's really trying to get Jesus to work with him, but Jesus isn't really doing him any favors, right? He's just staying quiet. He, Pilate's probably thinking, come on, man, just say something. We can all go home. Pilate's probably thinking about his weekend plans, honestly. He's just, here it is, the biggest moment in history, and Pilate's like, man, I, I just want to, I want to go fishing. I want to get on the boat this weekend. You know, he's probably just trying to get this thing over with so he can move on with his life. But the, the Jewish leaders keep pushing it, and Jesus stays quiet. At this point, Jesus has nothing left to say. And so Pilate's thinking, how can he not cooperate? What's going on here? And so what I want to do is pick up the story from verse 6 and continue on. We'll see what happens. It says, Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one that you call king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. So Pilate saw an opportunity to squelch this thing, and he has this idea, what if I bring them, what if I bring them Jesus and Barabbas? Barabbas the murderer. Barabbas is essentially a terrorist, you know, and he's putting him next to Jesus and saying, come on, guys, like who, who, who's guilty here? Who do you want to release? He's just trying to make it so obvious that they'll have to release Jesus. But the plan backfires, the crowd continues on, and they want Barabbas, they want to crucify Jesus. So let's take a time out from Pilate and focus on the crowd for a minute. What's going on in the crowd? Because in Mark, it's just a character that kind of comes and goes very quickly. But what's the response of the crowd? Well, it says that they were influenced by their religious leaders, that they were stirred up. And so what I would say is that the response of the crowd is confusion. Like, confusion. They're just going along with what their leaders are telling them to do. Um, I've been in some crowds, some sports games. Crowds can be very dumb. Did you know this? 
Crowds can be kind of dumb. Um, I was watching a, a basketball game recently, and a ref made a bad call, and all of a sudden the crowd just like drowns out. You can hear it on the on the broadcast. Just refs suck, and they just say it over and over and over again. I'm like, I'm glad they have security. I feel like that crowd's just going to come down and beat the ref up, you know. But you know, crowds can get agitated, amped. Uh, you know, and, and they, can, they can just go with what everybody else is saying. They feel empowered by the amount of people. They want to be a part of something, so they join in. You could call the crowd easily led, foolish, even stupid, right? They're just going to do whatever everybody else is doing. And I think this is, this is good for us to think of, too. Like, like it's easy today to submit to a state of confusion around the truth and person of Jesus, to just go with the flow, right? We have crowds everywhere. We have crowds online, right? We have crowds on can change with, with a tweet or with a video or with the pull of, of culture. And, and what the crowds lack is discernment, is wisdom. So, so in response, Jesus meets us at a personal level. When you come to know Christ, that is a personal thing. That doesn't happen in a crowd. That comes at a personal level. Um, I remember a few years ago when we had Shannon Williamson, it was Shannon Williamson here to preach a message on Ecclesiastes 8, and I'm never going to preach a summer-long series on Ecclesiastes again, because it's a very depressing book. <laughs> so that is my, that's my promise to you. That was a rookie mistake. And... <laughs> Um, and so anyways, she preached one of the messages, and it was a great message. The reason why it was great is because I remember it today, and, I, and then you know it's great, but one thing she said about the book of Ecclesiastes, which is a good book, and it basically, um, the book of Ecclesiastes is about the meaningless of life apart from God, and um, when, when the way that she, like, reduced down this book is that wisdom is whispered and folly is shouted. I don't know if you remember that, but wisdom is whispered. Wisdom is found in, in really small places, and folly is everywhere, yeah. <laughs> right? Just get online, right? It's everywhere. But if you want to find the truth, you've got to dig, right? You've got you've to look in, 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 in places that not everybody else is looking, looking at. I, I'll always remember that. I think that's so wise. Like, if we want to know who Jesus is, we have to study. We have to dig deep. We can't be lazy about it. Or else we might just sway with the crowd. Right? We have to dig deep. So there's two responses to Jesus so far. Contempt, confusion, and now let's talk about Pilate. So Pilate knew. You can see in the text, in the dialogue, he knew Jesus was innocent. He may not have believed Jesus was king, but he had no problem with Jesus saying it. He finds no fault in him. So he, but at the same time, he believes this, you can see it in his heart. He says, why, what, what has he done? He hasn't done anything. But at the same time, he has the interests of Rome pressing down on him. I've got to keep the peace. If a riot breaks out of my town, I might get pulled, right? And so he takes the path of least resistance. And he chooses temporary peace over justice for Jesus. 
he caves. It says, wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. So Pilate knew better, but he caved. Pilate may not have believed, but he wanted to keep the crowd in control. So pressure is what did Pilate in. It was pressure. Um, he settled for peace instead of siding with Jesus. And so Pilate's response is, it fits in with these C's, cowardice, right? Pilate's response is cowardice. He knew what was right, but there was too much pressure on him. He, he, he wanted to avoid the pressure. And we feel pressure today. If we really get excited about Jesus, that's not going to be popular with everybody. Whether that's your family or, or whether that's uh, your workplace, whoever writes your report card, your check, whoever's opinion you value, right, may not like it. And that can keep us from following Jesus as king. And we choose who Jesus is not just once, but every day, right? Every day we decide, am I making Jesus king today? Or am I king? Or is someone else king that I care about or care about their opinion? We make decisions on the kingship of Jesus every day. It also brings this up. Every day is sacred, guys. Every day is sacred. This was just another day for Pilate that Pilate was completely unprepared for, right? To Pilate, he may have had a hundred moments like this. But this was the most significant moment of his life and of history. And when push came to shove, Pilate just wanted to satisfy the crowd. He just wanted to quell any sense of uprising. So every day we can make a choice to submit to Jesus or to submit to others. And so what we need to pray for is courage. Courage, not cowardice. Courage, not cowardice. Let's not be satisfied with, with wasted days or wasted opportunities or or, or uh, any day where we, we don't make Jesus king, where we don't align ourselves with him. So we need to courageously step into faith. And it's, it, maybe it's one step a day, you know. Uh, Jesus is more king in my life now than he was five years ago, you know. Maybe it's, maybe it's just one step at a time. But we need to choose courage over cowardice. So this last group we're going to look at and, and look at briefly is the soldiers. So there was a time after Pilate uh, sent Jesus to be crucified, there was a window of time where they actually had to make the cross. They had to put it together. In that window of time, Pilate hands Jesus over to a group of about 600 soldiers. And they're sitting in this royal court, and this is what happens. It says, The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers, and they put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him, falling on their knees. They, and when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. Out of anywhere... The, 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 the theme of coronation is thick here, right? The purple robe, the crown of thorns, them kneeling, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, mocking him, 
God subjected himself to this? God's son? But this is the theme of coronation. And so the soldiers' response, who are even more removed than Pilate, is, is chaos. Like, they just wanted a laugh, right? They did not care. Um, they were just reckless. They were like raging bulls. They just wanted a laugh. And so chaos was the answer. And chaos is still an answer that people give today, that Jesus is a joke, right? The whole thing is a joke. But even so, Jesus died for them. Even so, it's one of the soldiers at the foot of the cross who says, truly this is the Son of God. So they were touched. And it just goes to show that there is no grace and love that compares to Christ's love. There is no story like this, right? We just simply can't relate to the depth of love that's going on here with Jesus. But what I do want to end with is how we can choose to respond differently to Jesus the King. How we can respond differently, whether it's our first time or whether it's differently today or tomorrow than we did yesterday. And so the final question that we'll land on is, is personal. It's how will you coronate Jesus? Because your response to Jesus the King is your personal one. It's your decision. And God may lead you towards it, and the Holy Spirit may, may reveal things to you, but it's your decision how you will respond to the king. So here's the, here's the path of the disciple. Here's the path of the Christ follower. The first way we respond is in concession. Concession says, Jesus, you are king. Long live the king. Right? King today and forever. Not just long life, but forever. When we declare that Jesus is the king, we're declaring that we're not the king, right? We're conceding. We're being conquered, really. We're surrendering. Jesus, you're the king, and, and I'm not. And so the posture of concession is to bow, is to bow. Uh, we bow in submission to our, our king, our Lord, who's not only up there high above, but is personal with us and loves us and saves us. And our response is to concede and submit to his will because he is good and his love is good. From concession, we go to celebration. We celebrate Jesus who died and rose again. We celebrate Jesus who said, all authority in heaven and earth belong to me. We celebrate his rule. Like the sword and the stone, we say, long live the king. Right? We get to celebrate him forever. And this is why we come on Sundays, guys. It's, it's worship. It's really, we come to worship. You know, it's not just about a message. It's, it's not just about community. It's about worship. An encounter with God. That's why we're here. And so everything that we do here revolves around that worship of God. And the, the third way we respond, and what I'm going to invite you into today, is communion. In fact, we're going to close our time today in communion and worship. And communion isn't something that we just simply do once because it's a tradition. It is a tradition, but it's a tradition that Jesus instituted. And so when I say communion, it means more than the bread and the cup. It means an invitation to be with Jesus every day, to commune with him, to be in community with him. 
is what it means. And so the message of communion that I want to leave with you today is this, is that the king is with you. The king is with you. That the king came to earth to make himself known to you. The king died on the cross to pay for your sin. The king rose again to invite you in to new life. And he is with you. And someday the king will return to take us home. The king will come. So live with the king. Dig deep. Study. Be silent before him. Embrace whatever he gives you. Whatever, he's, whatever purpose he's given your life, embrace it. Find your gifts. Love others. Because the king is with you. He wouldn't have gone through all that to disconnect from you because of your sin, right? Or to disconnect from you because of your confusion, because of your contempt, because of your, your cowardice, because of your chaos. The cross barrels through all of that. Jesus died for everybody in that realm. Everybody experiencing that is not separated from Christ if they believe, right? Jesus powered through it. And so as we take communion today, you'll notice that we have real bread um, and we have um, a germ-free option as well. <laughs> so whatever you're comfortable with. We wanted to have real bread just for this image. You know, Jesus said, you know, this is my body broken for you, yeah. right? And that's what, we, that's what we reflect on as we actually take in the, the bread. And it, the, the juice represents his blood. He poured out his blood for us. And we're actually supposed to take that in because we need it. We need the bread of life. We need the blood that covers our sin. And so that's my invitation. You have, as we worship this morning, you have an audience with the king. So as, as, as we worship, after I pray, I'm going to invite you to come forward and pick your option, germy or germ-free. You can pick your option. Um, and then take it back to your seat. We're going to take communion together, but I want to give you guys a good amount of time to just have an audience with the king. If you don't really take time during the week to pray, to pray. If you feel God stirs something in your heart, give that to him. You know, he invites you to lay down any contempt that you have or any confusion that you have, any, any cowardice. Cowardice does not define you, right? You can be forgiven of that. Or if you just feel like life is chaos, Jesus invites you to hand that down. Because the goal is that you would live life as, with Jesus as your king. That you would concede, that you would celebrate and commune with him. So let's pray. Jesus, our king, Lord, we praise you. Lord, there's so much about the cross that, that I can't fathom, that I don't understand, that I can't relate to because of how different you are. You are such a different king. You are such a worthy king. And Lord, help us to know that love. Spirit, I invite you, as we have already, just to be in the room, just to speak to hearts. Lord, that if there's areas where 
we've kicked you off the throne or we've put ourselves on the throne. God, if, there's area, if, if our lives feel like chaos, Lord, if every time we go into work, we feel like a coward, Lord, if we feel confused about everything that's going on, God, or if we just feel anger, I pray, Lord, that we would just be able to give that to you. Lord, you invite us, no matter what the state of our hearts is, to just sit before you as our king. Because the truth is that you died for all of it. You took it all on. Lord, we can be free because of what you've done. So, Lord, thank you for this time, God, to be an audience before the king. In Jesus' name, amen.